Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to our November episode. This month, we're keeping the home fires burning as we take a look at families who stay together by slaying together. So pull up a chair as we carve you a big slice of the macabre, and serve up a heaping helping of the grotesque. Because, for the next hour, it's family hour. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill you. The so Have you ever talked to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Not the third switch! Give my creation! Alright, it's all yours. Thanks. I'm gonna move in a little more. Just, I will. And then, then take this position. Yes. Okay. Hey, Kat. Hey, Marshall. You were about to text me something. Uh-huh. And you were holding on to a little bit of news. Yeah. Uh, You're going to love it. Okay. I met Mm. my first Transylvanian. Go on. (laughs) Well, I know you know a Transylvanian. I know a Transylvanian. And and listeners of Boys and Ghouls podcast will remember there was a story about this Transylvanian. Yeah. I met a male. Here's a story. I know her. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I don't think I've ever mentioned on the podcast before, but I do a marketing job. One of the jobs I do is I drive an electric car around Santa Monica. I give people free rides and market products to them. So I get I meet a lot of people from all over the world who are traveling. And I picked up these four older people. They were probably 65. Oh, I was picturing like a, a European backpacker. No. So were they gypsies? No. Well, the other three were Americans. But oh, I okay. guess one of the women is married to this man who's from Transylvania. And he right. sat up front with me. And boy, did he like to talk. He said, you know, I am from Transylvania. I mean, straight up, like, maybe not quite Super Dracula well, voice, but... Bela Gossi's accent was actually a Hungarian accent. Yeah. And not a Romanian accent. All sounds the same yeah. to us, probably. Yeah, totally. His accent was perfect enough that I was thrilled. And I was like, you're my first Transylvanian! I was very excited. <laughs> and he's being very flirtatious and funny, but he was... And you, they would treat like a queen. Right? He's living in Indiana. All right. I actually said to him, a Transylvanian in Indiana, now there's a show I'd watch. And he laughed. The Transylvanian I know lives in Pennsylvania. Ooh. You know, he, he's very well versed in Vlad the Impaler. And he was, you know, sure. most people don't know about Elizabeth Bathory. And, you know, like all of these That's things. That's the one who uh, bathed in blood? She believed if she bathed in virgin's blood, she'd like be immortal or whatever. So she created the Iron Maiden and squeezed the blood out. Ah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all this I learned from a Transylvanian. And it was thrilling. And I was so excited. And I went to text you. And then I was like. Ah, I can't do that. I got to save it. That's that's pretty cool. He was awesome. Oh, and the best part is yeah. when I was dropping him off, I said, okay, ooh, tell me, what's like a colloquialism? What's something that people say in Transylvania? And he goes, well, it's kind of like the man who played Dracula, who, uh, who Bela Lugosi, he says, I want to drink your blood. And yeah. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Really? It was funny. Oh, uh, okay. Made me laugh. Uh, no, it was, but he, he built it up better. You know, he kind of had me hanging, waiting for what he was going to say. And then he hit me with that, which I thought was just, what a sport. Was you he know? like, I never drink. 
coconut water. <laughs> he didn't take any coconut water. And this was at night. I didn't see him in the daytime, so just saying. Anyway, that's my fun spooky news. All right. I, in the last week, I've been going around uh, to different stores on my own errands. Mm -hmm. And just for the purpose of finding on-sale Halloween items. Discounted down. Yep. And I've got a, a little bit of a, of a booty. Really? Let me show them to you. I can't wait. Okay. For the listening audience, I have several plastic bags. Is let's, it easier for get me into to one get them? them? Why don't you pick one? Which Ooh. one looks good? All right, you pick the Target bag first. I like Target. For 30 cents, I got spider pop-ups. Oh my gosh, these are so cool. Um, what? If you're listening, I'll describe. You've seen them. They're like suction-y. Well, they probably just sit on the table. Yeah, and they have a suction, and you just push down on the spring, and it suctions to the plastic, but only for so long, and then right. it goes pop. Yeah. They're so cute. They're all colorful. Great. A couple of glow-in-the-dark wands. Ooh. They've got, one of them has a pumpkin and one of them has a bat. Yeah, I might That's come super fun, super fun. Now, as you know, I have a, a brain gelatin mold. I do know that. I've had jello from it. It's good, but I can't always get people to eat it. Really. Are they grossed out or just... I guess. Because it, well, it's jello in the shape of brain. It does look pretty gross. And I take gummy worms and I put gummy worms in the brain. Of course you do. And I think it's a ton of fun, but maybe it doesn't move quite as much as I'd like it to off the table, you know? Okay. It, it doesn't get eaten fast. Well, and, if, and then it'll just melt. If I'm around it, I'll eat enough to have a tummy ache just so you don't feel bad. Thank you. <clears throat> so just for smaller portions, I got uh, two small jello molds. <laughs> the babies. I yeah yeah now they mention it they, they are baby, baby brains oh they're baby sized cute they are this is total baby brain uh select a second bag here we are all right this is uh oh grocery store in the back along with the other discounted food and like hair product nobody wanted to buy yeah they put their Halloween items got some uh devil horns here Ooh. the kind that you uh glue to your head. <laughs> Um, how much you? How much did this run you? A dollar seventy-four. That's awesome. Yeah, and then two cookie cutters, fifty cents each. I got a bat here and a ghost. Cute. We will have to use all of these things next year. Um, another bag. Okay, the ninety-nine cent store. I don't know what their deal is. It's like they did a clean sweep of all Halloween stuff, and it's all Christmas stuff now. Ugh. It's like. I, I know every store didn't sell out, so I guess they put it all into storage and for next year. I guess so. But I, I went in on like the third. This was all that was left. At an after Halloween sale at the 99 cent store, what do they do? Just give it to you? They must have because it's gone. It's <laughs> gone. It. They were like, like it's it only a dollar usually. Here, just take it. Yeah. Um, I got two different brands. Peeps. Marshmallow chocolate flavored pumpkins. To, Amazing. Yeah. And I had to like really look for these. I like, yeah. found them in the, in, the, in the candy aisle. But there was no Halloween section just kind of tucked in the back Shocking. like I thought there would be among Ken's of Goya. You, you, this bag? Ooh. Okay. Um, Hot Topic. Hot Topic had a 75% off sale. What I like about buying these is you see the stickers over top of other stickers as the price went down. So there's like a 20% off sticker. Makes you feel like you're really getting a deal. Yeah. And then over top that sticker is like a 50% off sticker. Oh my gosh. Uh, so I got a Freddy Krueger mask here. Wow. And then... Mm, rubbery. Yeah. It's got that... That is a really messed up, scary Freddy Krueger mask. Yeah. This fellow here, you may recognize. <gasps> Michael! Michael! 
Oh, I'm sorry. People are listening. It's a Michael Myers mask. That was just me being ridiculous. Wow. Uh, so this is very dark. The two together came to a uh, $16. Wow. So that's that ain't bad. That's great. I might have to. Uh, I have no try Im- these immediate on. use for a uh, Michael Myers mask, but something's gonna come up. Hey, it can't hurt to have one around. Yeah. What's in here? Is that one too? Yeah. Oh my god. Okay, I um, I did not go to Halloween Town because being an all year Halloween store, they really don't have after Halloween sales. No. They're I mean, just like, oh, it's Tuesday. Yeah, they're not trying to clear out their merchandise. No. So I didn't go there, but I did go to a Spirit Halloween store. Man, in... they outdid themselves this year. Yeah? The Spirit Spirit Halloween, well, it was their 30th year, oh. their 30th anniversary, and oh my God, their products were like, all of them, out of this world. Uh, I went to one in Glendale. Okay. I caught it on its last day. Everything was down to 50% off. Ah! That is a glow-in-the-dark skull. I have... A lot of things that go in the dark now. And your collection of skulls must be growing, too. Yeah, Don't like, you have a few? Yeah, that's like five. I think that's five more than the average American. Okay. Yeah, so uh, go in the dark skull with movable jaw. Ooh, something's furry. <gasps> oh, be... God. <laughs> I think Jesus. I just scared cat. Well, I stick in my hand in a bag. I don't know what it is, and it's, and it's hairy and... Well, you know, it makes sense because it's a werewolf. It's a werewolf mask. What a great mask. With werewolf hands. Now, that mask and hands will be used in my upcoming magic trick for my work talent show. It's a pretty awesome mask, Marshall. I like how squishy it is on the inside. It seems... Give it a try. Oh, sure. Because I'm harboring ambitions of uh, someday Kat and I putting on a spook show, letting boys and ghouls extend themselves into like a live... A live bit of theater. And uh, one of the gags on the drawing board is for me to turn a young maiden into a werewolf. Oh, that's better. Oh, and now I can see your eyes. So there you go. Get used to that. Cool. Um, yeah, there's like no, there's, I mean, there's a slit where the mouth is. So it's like it's supposed to let you breathe, but you can't breathe through your mouth at all. So for, um, for short term use, super great. And it, it's comfortable on your face. Good. And then the gloves yep. to go with that. Nice and spooky. Got it. Okay. Light sticks. More glowy stuff. Got it. Really? Can't have enough. Okay. Something else soft. It's a beard. Oh. When I worked in a Halloween store, for shopping for your kid on a budget, Wolfman's really a way to go because mostly you just wear your own clothes. Right. But I would then suggest they buy one of these fake beards so that they could use the fur from the beard to like line the cuffs of the kid's shirt just as a, Uh to make everything a little more werewolfy. Uh Uh-huh. So I really just bought this fake beard to put on those werewolf gloves down the road. It was like three bucks. Hello, I have a beard and a mustache. It's Movember. Why am I talking like an old prospector? Gold! Because you're wearing a beard. Gold! I found gold! Oh, Apple Jacks. <laughs> oh, man, that was too much fun. Wow, I'm impressed. Um, Here, and I got something for you. Pour moi. Ooh, bloody tissues. That's great. It's a packet of tissues which appear to have already been bloodied They're up. They're blood splattered. That yeah. could disturb somebody if I blew my nose with this. Be like, ah! like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> well, I thank you, Marshall. You're I appreciate welcome. that.
Hey folks, it's November, and well in advance, Kat came up with a, an idea for the topic for this month, which is family. Mm, it's so, so sweet. Yeah, because, you know, Thanksgiving and gatherings, and it makes more sense than last November when you were like, it's November, we should do revenge. I stand by my choice last time. <laughs> and by family, we didn't even have to talk about it. I knew that you didn't mean family friendly necessarily. Correct. But horror movies which involve families, which are usually pretty creepy. And I kind of expanded in my research too, not just families that are like murderous families, which mm -hmm. I definitely covered, but also just movies where maybe the motivation in a murder or in some creepy behavior was family. You know, we're okay. family, blood ties, things like that. Ah, dinner time. Brother seats Junior, then helps mother to her chair as he would his best girl. Napkins on the lap, they converse pleasantly while Dad serves. Pleasant, unemotional conversation helps digestion. We tend to associate family as being a safe place, yes. just in general. Those are the people you can trust. Those are the people you can always count on. Those are the people you share more memories with. You share genetics with. You, you know, twins sometimes can feel pain when the other one breaks their leg 500 miles away. Like there's documented research and evidence of this. So because we hold that so close to our hearts in such a happy way, yeah. when things go wrong, when someone does something horrible and we're related to them or they do something horrible to their family, it's, it's just more gruesome than, than almost anything else. I see. You know, if you, you murder – someone murders a lover. Yes, it's tragic. It's terrible. Or someone like a murders business partner. a business uh, – some kind of crime of passion. There's a drug deal gone wrong. It's all terrible. But when we turn against each other, When we it's hear about just... a family murder, that makes the headlines. Yeah. And there's something very biblical – very Cain and Abel, very classically, biblically, just innately disgusting and wrong about well, like – And there's special names for it too. Oh, yes. Like matricide. Matricide. Parasite. But there's no like special term for uh, – killing your taxi driver right we we have a reaction to it and it's been happening for a while you mm -hmm. said very long time for a very long time and yet every time it happens it makes the news because it's still just like what the heck yeah like you think we'd be used to it <laughs> no nope it's it's a uh, new and shocking every time what happened was true the most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in america the texas chainsaw massacre after you stop screaming You'll start talking about it. Rated R. Why don't we just talk about the quintessential family murder movie, which is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Let's. 1972. And let's us, as well, focus on the great family tradition of the family dinner. Oh, sure. And plus Thanksgiving. I mean, what is Thanksgiving but a family dinner? Yes. Really? And the real centerpiece of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the dinner scene. Oh, God. With Grandpa. I just, and, I can't. Oof. Well, for those of you who might not have seen it, that's where of the five young people who they're checking out an old farmhouse that used to belong to one of their grandparents. But then next to that farmhouse, a little further down, is a second farmhouse filled with what we now know as the Sawyer family, although they didn't bring that name up until part two. Correct. At that time, they were just, I guess, the family. Mm -hmm. And they didn't really even have names. There was the cook, the hitchhiker, and Leatherface. Mm -hmm. And Grandpa. Uh, there's one survivor left. They grab her, stick her in a sack, bring her back, tie her to a chair, stick her at the head of the table, a place of honor. She's the guest? Really. And mostly taunt her and then try to kill her mm -hmm. for her blood. They are a family of cannibals. They are. Not exclusively, but um, meat's meat for these guys. Ugh. 
And that's the context of the film. As for the making of the film... The making of the film is almost... It's almost better than the film. And, yeah. the, and the film is pretty great. The dinner scene comes with its own stories and just the world of filmmaking. It's, it's memorable because the guy who played Grandpa was actually about 18. They put a bunch of prosthetics on him. Uh, this was a very low-budget film. And it was Texas um, in the summer, so it was about 100 degrees every day, uh, yeah. all day, and even at night. inside of the uh, the room they were filming in with all the bright lights. Uh, and rotting meat. And rotting meat. And the lights would cause the meat to rot. They would inject the meat with like formaldehyde, I heard, just so it, it wouldn't rot. And real skeletons, because real skeletons are cheaper than fake ones back then. Yeah. There were a lot of real human bones and dog bones on that set. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. The art director, Robert A. Burns... Um, the house is its own character and he had access to um, a veterinarian and the veterinarian's kind of body dump in Texas and would just go there and get all kinds of bones and then bring them back and incorporate them into furniture, incorporate them into lamps. And it's really just kind of raw and creepy. And, mm -hmm. and you can tell, I mean, maybe you can't tell that like, oh, those are real bones and not plaster bones. But it all just adds to just the yeah. Well, there's just something the about knowing that that was the environment they were filming in that brings up the emotional heat. Um, yeah. When you know the actors were miserable, it smelled like blood it, and rotting meat. It all meat. came through in the performances. Yeah. And this dinner scene uh, was filmed over about 26 hours because the guy who had all the prosthetics to be grandpa said, shoot all my stuff at once. I don't want to go through this a second time because it was like eight hours to put on. Yep. So then to shoot everything that had grandpa in it, which was mostly just the dinner scene. It was a 26-hour day, which, among other unpleasant smells, Gunnar Hansen, who played Leatherface, mm -hmm. uh, he wasn't allowed to change his clothes. He only had one costume. They couldn't afford a second one. They yeah. were afraid to wash his costume because they thought the color would change. Yeah. So it was smelly and disgusting and... No, nobody wanted to sit near him? No. No one no. wanted to be around him? No. Not at now, all. Now, you just... Uh, didn't you win Gunnar Hansen's autobiography? I, I did. He he wrote a new memoir called Chainsaw Confidential. And I won through public radio. Like, I entered a contest. I was the first person to respond to, like, an email that was like, win a copy. Write us back with the name of your favorite horror movie and why. And we'll give you a signed copy. So I was the very first person to respond. And, yeah, I got a copy. And It was autographed? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, was there an uh, inscription? It just said, like, to off-ramps number one fan, because the program that – it was John Raby who hosts a program on NPR called – on KPCC called Off-Ramp, and I'm subscribed to their email mailing. I'm a public radio nerd. Yeah, he just said to off-ramps number one fan, and I got a little, little note from John Raby, too, that was like, enjoy. Oh, nice. But, yeah, he – Gunnar Hansen, he went around and interviewed a bunch of the cast members now and, yeah. and talked to them and, and shared memories and went over stuff with them, plus incorporated his own memories of, of what happened. I, I relied on the DVD's two commentaries. Mm -hmm. Which I'm sure has a lot of the same stuff in it. Sure. But I haven't watched the commentaries before. And I know the Texas Chainsaw commentary is one of your favorite commentaries of oh, yeah. any film. Yeah. Right? It's, it's just, well, I mean, low budget filmmaking and horror tends to come under that umbrella quite a lot. Yep. can be real stories of a triumph over adversity or just triumph over inconvenience mm -hmm. and all the myriad small problems that constantly come up. Um, the good ones, the good movies, found ways to get around that and, and to make their films better as a result. And yep. Texas Chainsaw is certainly one of those. Yeah. One of the things I found out that I recently heard, um, trivia, that the table that they were seated at uh -huh. was made up of diving boards. I didn't know that. Old public swimming pool diving boards, which that whole house was kind of a patchwork of things that they've scavenged and 
Yeah. Things that they've repurposed. Right. Which is a lot of just what the bones are, really. is just, from the family's perspective, less macabre and more just repurposing something that they've got around the house. They find a victim, they eat a victim, and it's like, well, you don't eat a skull. Might make a nice lamp. Yeah, and one of the things I discovered after when I when I was reading the memoir is that Gunnar Hansen wasn't I mean, he wasn't really an actor, but when he got the role, yeah. he took it extremely seriously because oh, he sure. was terrified of making a fool out of himself and, and really wanted to do a good job. So I mean he went to a mental facility and watched yeah. some people to, to sort of just absorb their mannerisms and everything. He also spent a lot of time around pigs. Like pig he went sounds. to a farm to learn how to like make awful guttural pig noises. And the other thing I learned because I got really curious about Gunnar Hansen because he's he's such he's such a romantic. Like he's this big galoot, this big sweet guy. Yeah. He's a poet. Hmm. He writes poetry. Maybe I'll post some on the Boys and Ghouls page or something. It's it's good too. Find, I love it. Find a real winner. It makes from me really Gunner happy. Hansen. Yeah, there's there's nice. one that I really like. But um, yeah, that makes me that makes me really happy. Oh, and yeah. I don't know. Do you have anything else about Texas Chainsaw? Uh, you say something. I'll consult my notes. Well, my favorite thing, to, mm. just for me to bookend, um, the house from Texas Chainsaw Massacre is now a family restaurant. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, isn't that great? That is. I mean, you can go eat at the Cannibal House. Of course, it looks very nice now. And I think they physically moved the house to another location maybe. But at any rate, you can see pictures of it online. It's it's pretty great. I'd love to go eat there. Um, Leatherface in, in the first one has three different masks. Oh, yes. This I learned from the uh, memoir too. Yeah. Uh, the first mask is just his, I guess, around the house mask. And the second one is of an old woman. And if you notice... Uh, when in the evening time, he's like carrying a big spoon and wearing an apron. And I like to think that he has taken on the personality of the dead grandmother. Mm. There is like a corpse of a dead grandmother, like, like up, up in the attic mm-hmm. space. And that when like one family member died, he then sort of took them over. Right. And then at the, uh, looking very similar, then he does the pretty lady mask where he's still he's wears serving a dinner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got a wig. Yeah, and now the leather face, which is like a, a face made of, of human skin, has makeup on it, mm-hmm. like a lot of makeup. So pretty. So now because it is all men living there, he just sort of rounds out the family by, by taking over as uh, various females. Yeah. Through flesh masks. Yep. And it's worth noting, and, and this is like the number one like horror movie 101 trivia that if, if anyone's a fan of horror at all knows – about this movie is that it claims to it, at the time was marketing itself as a true story based on a true story when really it's just kind of very loosely inspired by Ed Gein. Oh yeah. Well, which it's worth noting also that Ed Gein, I mean, Ed, this is, it's so extremely minimally based on, but what, what it is, what it does get right is that he did, he, he grave robbed and he, he made, he upholstered furniture and lampshades with human flesh. But also my sure. favorite thing about him is that he blocked off his mother's room once his mother died and like per- perfectly preserved it. And I haven't reread this, so maybe I'm going to get the facts wrong, but this is just floating around in my head that he, he was he was very obsessed with his mother, which also, you know, Psycho is sure. based on yeah. it as, we, as well. The horror movies have gotten a lot of mileage out of Ed Gein. Yes. But the family element... 
of the Ed Gein story, it's different from the family element of Texas Chainsaw, but there's still that family, well, that his obsession with his mother. A, a quote that I got from some of the special features on the DVD for Texas Chainsaw was that Toby Hooper wanted to make a family of Ed Geins. Ooh. And uh, man, if one's, one's not bad enough. Right. Get to get a family of them. Look what your brother did to that dog! What's so shocking about that movie is it's not gory at all. I mean, there are maybe two shots of... Very little. Well, there's not a lot of what I'll just call active blood. But yeah. if you look, you know, they say, oh, there's no blood when she gets hung on the hook. Yeah, but there's a lot on the walls. Yeah. Um, and there's a part when he gets stabbed in the thigh or something that you see... Yeah, there, there's here and there. On the th- but for the most part, I mean, that movie is almost completely... Toby Hooper was hoping for a PG in, instead wild? of an R. And it got an X at first, and they had to recut yeah. it. Such a delightful family film. And... I'd like to make this point about it, and this will probably carry over into other families, which is families, including the Texas Chainsaw family and others that we may speak of, tend to, over time, create their own moral compass, Mm -hmm. you might say. Sure. I mean, as a society, we're mostly pointed in the same direction, but each family is a little off. You notice that when, when you're a kid and just say, like, oh... This family curses in front of their mom. Mm-hmm. What's that all about? They've got a naked house. I didn't know those people when I was growing up, but they, no, some people, you know, there are houses? moms and dads who, you know, oh, okay, walk yeah. around nude in front I, of their I, kids. I thought you meant it was like a rule. No. Um, sure. Or, but I know what you mean. Or just, yeah. you know, you wonder where bad people tend to come from. They come from bad families, some of them. And if you grow up in a family that just believes a certain certain thing or a certain way uh within the family within the house it's kind of its own moral bubble mm-hmm. and that was how it was with the uh texas chainsaw family yeah i'll say leatherface aka bubba <laughs> is played as not a bad guy and he's actually played as very frightened he's like a big kid yeah well the, the glider out front that was made with a uh, railroad ties the art director said that that was made with such heavy material because it was intended to be for Leatherface. Even though there's never any shots of Leatherface sitting on like the swing outside, yeah. it was made so sturdy because that was Leatherface's swing. I love that attention to detail. Yeah. It's great. And I didn't come to appreciate that film until just the last year or two. I mean, I'd seen it, most of it, when I was younger. But then sitting down and watching it again, it's really beautifully shot. Yeah. And it's it's hard to watch. It, it is. It's like, it's, I'm not sure I'd want to... It's definitely not one, unless it, you're watching it with commentary, that I would just pop on and put... You know, in the background, it's, yeah. the, it's the not first one time of those I saw it was like a, you go just to sleep. A punch in the face. Yeah, and it's it's final shot of uh-huh. him just in the middle of the road, just spinning around angrily. Angrily, or just kind of like having fun, just like up oh, one got away. I think I'm gonna dance in the street here. Cause... I never looked at it that way. That's spooky. Yeah, to me, it wasn't even anger. It was just like it was just something he did. And now he was out in public doing it, but because he's so far gone as far as his, you know, what he considers like mm-hmm. what's normal, he's just letting rip in the middle of the road. He's just kind of for all to see. I watched a movie from 1994 called Mother's Boys, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, that scream queen Jamie Lee. They had made a life for themselves. Without her. You left those boys. It took me a long time to forgive myself. But things are about to change. I want you out of here. 
I should have never left. If you're right, you should have never left. Because Jude's come back, and this divorce... Sizing up the competition. There is no competition. ...is going to be a nightmare. I want to come home, and she won't let me. Jamie Lee Curtis, Peter Gallagher, Joanne Wally Kilmer, and Vanessa Redgrave, Mother's Boys. I think, did I tell you about this? I, well, I know the box. I've never seen the movie. Yeah. I know that it exists. I've seen the trailer. And I know that real big and present, you can see it in the movie screen. In the video store scene, Uh huh. there's just a big standee for Mother's Boys. Yeah. Really it, just as like a giant nod for like Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. It was a giant Jamie Lee vehicle. The plot is that Peter Gallagher plays her ex-husband, but she left the family once for like three months and then came back and Mm -hmm. then they tried to rebuild things and then left again not too too long after her youngest son was born they have three boys and has been gone for like four years now and peter gallagher and his sons have rebuilt their life without their mother and he's now dating someone new who's the assistant principal at the boys school jamie lee curtis re-enters herself into the picture do they say where she's been she just left Okay. I can't remember. It could be like a Kramer versus Kramer. Just got to figure herself out. Basically. Yeah, I guess there's an implication there was some postpartum depression or whatever going on. But she's also bat poop crazy. Like hmm. super crazy. Because she comes back and immediately just wants back in. You know? It's, it's like hand that rocks the cradle. Very but, much except so. Except she was there first. Yeah. And of course hates the new girlfriend. What I love about the movie is you should probably categorize it more as a thriller. I think most people would. But in the same sense that... Well, Jamie Lee Curtis just brings a horror prestige. She does. And it also has the same tone. If I think a lot of people consider... Fatal Attraction. I think a lot of people might list that as like a horror film. It's it's pretty intense. I mean, it's kind of a drama thriller, but that's how this one feels too. Yeah, and there's sometimes a lot of, thrillers are just slashers waiting to happen. It's true. And this movie has a lot of really disturbing stuff in it. But what I love is that Jamie Lee Curtis says things like, boys need their mother. A lot of that really great family verbiage and... She's driven by the fact that this is her family and she'll do whatever it takes to the extent that she actually goes to the assistant principal's office and throws an Edward Norton and Fight Club style tantrum where she beats herself. She breaks a a picture frame and grabs a piece of glass and drags it across her forehead and then starts yelling, no, no, help me. So that someone else comes in and I mean, like. She's nuts. She's super crazy in this movie. And it's just so much fun. And, of course, it culminates in a really epic, extremely dramatic ending. But there's a lot of, like, really disturbing family stuff, too. Like, there's a point where... Well, I'm, I'm guessing, just on the trailer, that it starts as just sort of a, a battle of manners and just, like, slights and, yeah. and little things. And then escalates and escalates and escalates until it's, you know, like, a brawl. Kind of. Except that it's a little bit probably more intense than it even needs to be at the beginning like you know from the beginning she's she's pretty crazy and it just gets more and more evident and the behavior she does gets more weird like she does manage to convince peter gallagher to let her have time with the boys alone mm-hmm. and she's like taking a bath and calls her oldest son in to like bring her a towel or something and he's like, I don't want to come in here. You're taking a bath. And she's like, what's the big deal? I'm your mom. And he's like, that's why it's weird. And it's she. It's just, it's just, you know, there's that weird incest implication. Like, it's a dark film. But I'd watch, right. I would watch it over and over again. It's so much fun. And it's, you watch it for the first time when? I don't know, two weeks ago. All right. Super fun. I mean, it's one of those things where you have a character who is so driven by the idea that family is 
forever. There's nothing that's getting away of me coming together with my family. And then the next thing I watched was I rewatched the 1996 season four episode two episode of the X Files, Home. Okay, now that's that's a big episode. It is. I don't think I've ever actually seen the beginning of the episode. Mulder and Scully, uh, they find a, a what? Well, the beginning of the episode okay. is these deformed guys helping deliver a baby from the screaming woman who you only really see everyone in shadow and it's the dark and stormy night and this baby gets delivered and they take this baby to the backyard and bury it alive which they actually in in the episode you don't you could you don't know for sure that it was buried alive until something comes up later and scully's like there's dirt in its lungs indicating that it breathed in the dirt but initially, they, had, they actually had uh, the baby screaming while it was being buried, but the censors were like, hell no, you can't do that. So they had to change it. But um, the director of that episode, Kim Manners, a very regular director on the show, said that this was his absolute worst shot of his career. Like the hardest, most difficult, most terrible shot of his entire career was having to film the POV of the baby being buried uh. but but Mulder and Scully are called in because the baby is severely in dozens of ways deformed like extremely deformed. so someone finds the baby there are kid there's a great scene with some kids playing like a sandlot game by the peacock family home which is the deformed people and uh one of the kids is like he's he's at bat and he's digging his toe in you know like you do when you're at bat and he feels something soft and blood comes up uh. cut to Mulder and Scully well, there this would be shown on like a Sunday night Nine o'clock? Uh, Wasn't that their time slot? I don't remember. But it was only shown once, and then they kept it out of syndication for years. It was the first X-Files episode to feature a viewer discretion warning before the episode aired, and then it didn't air again for a long time because people reacted very strongly to it. And in fact, Johnny Mathis, uh, the song that, wonderful, wonderful, they play the song throughout the episode. It's a Johnny Mathis song, but they sent him the script to read it, and after he read it, he refused to allow his version to be played during the episode, so they had to re-record it with someone else. I mean... Pretty disturbing. And that was used in just kind of like a creepy... Yeah. One of those songs that gets a little old and gets a little creepy. Exactly. And so basically Mulder and Scully start investigating. They presume, because they find out this family's been there, they're really reclusive, they've been living there for years, it's just these three boys because it's presumed that both of their parents died in a car accident. And Mulder and Scully go, well, they must have kidnapped some woman and they're holding her there and they've impregnated her and that's where these babies are coming from because they find more babies. But then, of course, the horrifying realization comes when they finally get into the house and they find that it's their mother. She's under a bed. They've got her on like a rolling board and she's a quadruple. Quadruple. She has no arms or legs. And her face is all jacked up and she's got horrible teeth. And my favorite trivia about this is that... I have one piece of trivia. Let's see if you've got the same one. Why don't you tell it? I bet I know. We'll just see inspiration. The Charlie Chaplin. Yes. Yeah. Go for it. In Chaplin's autobiography, he talks about being in like a touring company back in England as an actor. Uh, He stayed with a family and they were like, hey, come check this out. Come meet our brother. Yeah. yeah. And they had him. He had like no arms or legs. He had him under a bed. They, They rolled him out and had him start dancing. And they're like, isn't this great? And Charlie Chaplin was like, huh? 
The way it's described in the autobiography is that when they played music, he flopped. He, quote, flopped around on the oh, floor. Oh, I see. And so, yeah, the writers of this episode were like, that's really weird. Let's use that. But, yeah, the episode home, you know, Mulder and Scully talked to this woman who's like, this This is what, to me, made me want to talk about this on the podcast. Because okay. the family is, is all about defending what's theirs, their way of life, as you said, their bubble of a moral code. Because as the mother says, we've been living this way since the war of northern aggression. Yeah. Right? Remember, remember that. And they've been incestuous and, and, and living this They've been inbreeding for several generations. Life for a long, long time. I think they do the, the thing where they just sort of pan along some photos. Yes. And you can just see them getting like kind of more and more deformed yeah, yeah. as the generations pass. Yeah. And what's great is when the brothers are preparing, like they booby trap the house because they know the police are coming for them. And they've also gone and murdered the sheriff of Sheriff Andy Taylor. <laughs> That's his name. And they, you hear the brothers like kind of. Wait a second. I tried to put that together in my head. Why is that funny? Because that's from the Andy Griffith Andy show. Griffith mm-hmm. and, oh, on the show, his name wasn't Griffith? No, Andy Taylor. Sher- Sheriff Taylor. Sheriff Taylor. Andy Taylor. Yep. Are you trying to tell me that you believe that place is haunted? We don't know everything, Andy. There's plenty going on right now in the Twilight Zone that we don't know anything about, and I think we ought to stay clear. And so they've already killed him, and then they, they've kind of booby-trapped their house, and you hear them kind of... They're they're gonna come try to change the way we've been doing things, you know. And they're they're just mm-hmm. very determined. Well, she's the only one that can talk, right? Uh, the, the, I guess the maybe it's a voiceover. Grunt. Maybe as the the sons are preparing the house, you hear a voiceover of her telling them they're gonna come try to change the way we do things. And and at the end of the day, the end of the episode is one of the sons uh, with the overlay of the wonderful wonderful song gets into the car and like well actually. You hear the mother saying, we're going to start over. And then the boy climbs out of the trunk of the car. So you presume that he was in there with the mother. Yeah. And he closes the trunk and gets in the car and drives away, presumably, to another town. I'm like, how is he going to start over? He looks like a the elephant man, practically. Sure. How You know, what was he just going to show up in a new town? But I'll let that slide. Okay. Yeah. You, one, of the one most... of those endings where it's like, they're out there somewhere. Right. Maybe in your town. But if you've never seen the, this X-Files episode, it is... They've it's got a, a summer good, cottage in the Hamptons. It's a, good, it's a good standalone episode. It's a monster of the week. You don't need to have seen all of the show to appreciate it. It still holds up. It's one of the most disturbing television episodes that yeah. has ever So been as made. you're scrolling... Are they on Netflix? Yes. As you're scrolling through Netflix, looking at the vast library of X-Files episodes, check out Home. But then as a palate cleanser, check out Humbug. Humbug is great. But yeah. for many really different reasons. Yeah. And the last movie I was going to watch, I was going to rewatch because when I saw it in theaters, I almost walked out, but I stayed. And then I watched it again several years later and liked it a little better. And I've always been meaning to rewatch it, but then technology failed me and I couldn't watch it again, which was House of Thousand Corpses. Because of the family, the crazy family that's in that movie. You were going to give another day in court? Yeah, I was going to try, but um, I didn't get to. Give me a B. Give me an A. Give me a B. Give me a Y. What's that spell? What's that spell? What's that spell? Baby? You're damn right. 
that movie holds what a lot of these do, which is in order to explore the family element, usually you bring in an outsider. And yes. In horror movies, now this is just in like family dramas. But Any of those usually, family Christmas yeah. movies that have come out in the last several years where it's like, meet the whatevers, or it's like bet families battling because one of them brings the new husband in yeah. and he's a yeah, crazy family. There's almost always an outsider perspective yes. to have things explained to. And have things exposed to and things like that. Yep. In the case of these horror films, the outsiders are typically victims uh-huh. who get brought in. But for the sequel, Devil's Rejects, now that we've already met the family. It's just about the family. It's the family going out. And any victims are victims they go out and get. And not people who have stumbled into their home. Mm-hmm. Because we've already kind of run down who's who. Yeah. And who's who, fun trivia, they are the Firefly family. Yeah. And the name Firefly, as well as other names in House of a Thousand Corpses, came from Groucho Marx characters. Yep. I knew that. The Captain Spaulding character. Played by Sid Haig, who's played by great. Sid Haig, is from Captain Jeffrey Spaulding, Groucho's character in Animal Crackers. One morning, I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How he got in my pajamas, I don't know. Uh, Mother Firefly comes from Rufus T. Firefly, the character in Duck Soup. Not that I care, but where is your husband? Why, he's dead. I'll bet he's just using that as an excuse. And Otis Driftwood, played by Bill Mosley, is from Otis B. Driftwood in A Night of the Opera. Ladies and gentlemen, I guess that takes in most of you. What about... Baby? What about, yeah. I, I think mean, Baby's just Baby. Just baby. Yeah. That was kind of the end of the list. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Did we say... 2003, just to place us. That's I want to talk a little bit out. about um, Bill Mosley. Okay. Is he the one with the long hair? He's the one with the yeah. long hair. He's also in Texas Chainsaw 2, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, really? which came out in the 80s. He played. I've never seen the sequels. It gets a lot bigger and bawdier and crazier, far less gritty mm-hmm. than the first one. You know, they had a big movie budget and they used it. Now, instead of living in a farmhouse, they live underneath a Texas Battles theme park. It's a theme park themed for Texas Battles. Weird. Yeah. So now all of their macabreness of decorating with skulls and stuff is throughout all these sort of underground tunnels but that's also filled with like theme park material mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is also themed with war and it's all just big and mosley he got the job as chop top to sort of replace the hitchhiker character who died at the end of the first one mm-hmm. because he was in a parody film and in the days before youtube if you made a parody you just kind of had to circulate the vhs tapes i guess <laughs> called the Texas Chainsaw Manicure. What? Instead of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it was set in like a beauty shop. What? And he played like the hitchhiker character, which is very frantic. Like, bah, gah, I'm here. Bah, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Kind of character. And Toby Hooper saw this. And when it came time to cast Chop Top, who was basically a kind of another version of the hitchhiker character based on this parody. And he hadn't done much at the time, Bill Mosley. And I, I'd say that it kind of launched him. Oh, how about another uh, family? The Adams Family. <gasps> oh, I knew I could count on you to bring us out of the horrible depths yeah, that I've taken us to. You got a little dark in this one. I know. But that's just... Listen, that's the way my mind works, okay? Mm. Um, yes! Well... The Adams Family, the movies, The Adams Family, which is what I've seen more of than the actual Correct. TV show Me or too. the Charles Adams cartoons. You were so beautiful, pale and mysterious. 
No one even looked at the corpse. Those were released at Thanksgiving, or at least the second one was released at Thanksgiving. Can, can we look up when the first one was released? Oh, of course, I'll Could do that right now. November twenty second, nineteen ninety one. So you were right. Yeah. So Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. For I, the I, first just, one. I can remember a, an Adam Stanley poster at the bottom. It just says Thanksgiving. And the second one. And the second one was released November nineteenth, nineteen ninety three. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah. I'm not perky. <laughs> That's for damn sure. But I want to be. You do? I want to smile and sing and dance and be Pocahontas in Gary's vision. The second one is my favorite Thanksgiving movie. <laughs> yeah, even though it it's takes, set in the summertime. It, yeah, it's set in the summer. And yeah. it seems a little odd that a summer camp would have a giant tribute to Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, the first Thanksgiving. Oh, God, Christine Baranski. I could go on and on about Adam's family values. <gasps> Isn't she pretty? She's scaring me. But yes, the Adams family, what a great, fun, charming horror family. Yes. Bound together by their love for the macabre. And uh, well, in the first one, just to go back to you, you need like an interloper mm-hmm. or an outsider yes. to come in. The Adams family could have just been about some dude coming into the Adams family. Yeah. And look who's coming towards us. The Adams family in person. Hello there. Welcome to our humble home. I'm Gomez. And I'm Mortis here. But what they did instead was they had the interloper be Uncle Fester mm-hmm. as the imposter That's of the long right. lost brother. That's right. And then it turns out he was Uncle Fester. He just had amnesia. <laughs> so we got to have both the outsider going, what is this family up to? Uh, without getting the extra baggage of just like some John Doe that they make up. Yeah. For the movie, which I thought was really great. Oh, hi there. How do you do? I'm your new neighbor, Herman Munster. So very nice of you to call. Now, drawing the line in the sand, I, I am more of a Munsters person okay. than an Adams Family person. I think that's fair. I, As far as TV shows, I didn't watch much of the Adams Family show, but I've seen plenty of Munsters, and I love the Munsters. But, sure. you know, I do, I do deeply. I mean, Adams Family Values is... I've seen that movie more than a lot of other movies. And both of those families live within their own... Like, moral bubble. Yep. Although, uh, while the Munsters are monsters, mm-hmm. they are actually quite a moral family. Oh, absolutely. Whereas the Adams family are these sort of undefined ghouls. Mm-hmm. They've got more of a bent towards the criminal. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, Wednesday's at that age when a girl has only one thing on her mind. Boys! homicide yeah. yeah it's got that dark track they're and, always and that even goes like into the original more more for gomez because gomez would just light up whenever he heard about it, like a scoundrel or yes or something like that yes. uh john astin with those great eyes would yes. just be like really <laughs> i mean raul julia did a, a great job great over the topness yeah, yeah he's like i've never before seen you <laughs> oh at the police station nathan yeah. lane is yes. in that movie oh god raul julia did a, a really fantastic job but you're john astin J- john astin yeah. brought it at a time when in the early 60s when such a crazy character on primetime television uh was a lot harder to pull off sure than in the early 90s now did you have as a monster fan did you have a crush on marilyn 
Were you like, man, she's she's well, you know, you know what? It did take me until I was an adult to go back and rewatch because I watched them all pretty young to realize just how insecure she was. Yeah, about about how ugly she was, basically. (laughs) And and the family would would just like dump on her. Yeah. Poor Marilyn, so unfortunate with yeah, her looks. Yeah, yeah. And they really felt sorry for her. She was just this girl that they pitied. Yeah, because she had that shining blonde hair and those perky breasts and looked very well, nice. But, Beautiful face. Oh, God, yeah. poor Marilyn. And, and she kept blaming herself because, like, Uncle Herman would come to the door and be like, oh, hello, won't you come in? And the guy would go, and, his, and he would, like, vault over the fence and uh-huh. into his car and drive away. And they're like, poor Marilyn, scared off another one. <laughs> it's a nice touch. Now he'd heard about those pilgrims and was ready for their flack. Ever since the Magna Carta, they ate turkey for a snack. He invented something drastic that dropped them to all fours. And it turned them into zombies when they settled on our shores. That's how a turkey created TV. That's right. That's why the turkey created TV. It sounds stupid, but oh, take one look and you'll know that a turkey created TV. It feels like it would be something more modern to everybody eat dinner in front of the television. Mm-hmm. But I actually think America kind of started doing that and then shied away from it. Yeah, well, TV trays, TV trays were I very think of, popular. I don't know anybody young who owns TV trays except maybe like one just to be kitschy. I'd definitely buy one to be kitschy. All the TV trays in my life that I've ever encountered were owned by the older generation. Yeah, they're like tin. Yeah. Uh huh. You know, and they might have like The Last Supper on it. Yeah. Or some kind of like. Or like a retro flower pattern or something. Yeah. Sure. But it feels like the kind of thing that would be like families don't eat anymore uh, together. But I'd say America kind of moved back to the table at some point. They did, yeah. I I guess as I think at first eating and watching TV was kind of marketed as a family event. And it it was. Yeah. Also, and when you only had three channels to choose from and only one TV in the house, TV time could equal family time right but at some point i guess we got enough channels and the urgency of like oh my gosh we're getting this broadcast into our home we gotta soak this in this is still magic i guess maybe sometime during the 70s this kind of wore off yeah and people stopped eating in front of the tv quite Mm -hmm. so much but thanksgiving time one big time for movies because a lot of people will see movies on thanksgiving day and they will put some good big releases family-friendly releases out for thanksgiving i know when i worked in a video store we would have people really try to stock up for things good for the whole family and at the time my go-to recommendation uh then and now um something good for the whole family galaxy quest galaxy quest is fun it's fun yeah kids like it adults get the more complex humor Yep. Which doesn't get that complex, but, you know, there's a few wheels within wheels. There's nothing offensive in it. It's just fun. Yeah. And as far as going to the movies, you ever do that? For, On Thanksgiving, with, no. Your family? But I know people who do. Once I did, um, not because I was bored with my family, but because Back to the Future 2 had just come out. Ooh. And it was like, I gotta see how this wraps up. Yeah. We gather together to watch cheesy movies at Comedy Central on Thanksgiving Day at Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's 30 straight hours and it's called Turkey Day. It was a tradition of horror hosts who usually kept to the nighttime. Because a bad movie was also called a turkey, there would be all-day horror movie marathons on Thanksgiving on different channels. Oh, my goodness. Now, this wasn't every channel would have their own. And actually, trying to find this, I had some trouble finding specific ones, even though I know that this went on. In the 90s, uh, Mystery Science Theater took up the helm. 
and would um would have would have a, a series of their shows as well as little vignettes in between the shows mm-hmm. for uh MST3K Turkey Day. Yeah. And that went on for a few years. Something I did find um in in the black and white of the internet. WOR9 in New Jersey, which would service New York and we could get it in Philadelphia as well. Through the 80s and early 90s ran King Kong, Son of Kong and Mighty Joe Young on uh, every Thanksgiving. Oh wow. It was a Thanksgiving King Kong marathon, Big Ape which, marathon, which a lot of people who like grew up then would sort of like report on the internet, like chat rooms, like how fondly they remember it. And Black Friday, Look, it's Godzilla. Huh. yeah. Uh, also, someone wrote in that uh, Cleveland would also show King Kong movies on Thanksgiving. Fascinating. And as and Mighty Joe Young, and I don't know what the connection is. Right when really? how that started. Thursday afternoon. See three of the screen's greatest thrillers, starting at one with the greatest of them all, the one and only original King Kong. Then the action continues with the son of Kong, followed by the mighty Joe Young, a classic tale of beauty and the beast, a full afternoon of action and adventure, Thursday afternoon at one. Now, on the internet is... Largely where, like, what's left of horror hosts have seemed to have gone for their own horror shows mm-hmm. online. And some of them will still do Thanksgiving, like, specials. Fun. So there you go. A, a tradition that um, has kind of gone away, but you can make your own if you want. Of course. If you're tired of the uh, the family, just head over to Netflix and pick some benign horror <laughs> and play it all day. Yeah. Just go watch a movie or 12. Yeah. The first sure sign of Christmas in New York is the Macy Parade, when Santa Claus is conducted to town by an assortment of clowns and floats that sets the mood for the holiday season. The crowd has a feast for the eyes, a float from the Radio City Music Hall, for example. This year, something new has been added, something from way out. It's the town car of the Munster family, and those TV favorites have come up with a gasser. It's a car not even Detroit could conceive. So the Munsters had it custom-built to the tune of $20,000, but it gets only three miles to the Gulen, according to Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis, who lurk behind all that makeup. They must be fine, clean-cut boys, though, to escort Santa Claus to town. Incidentally, they wish you a monstrously Merry Christmas. All right, folks. Well, uh, from all of us to all of you, we hope you have or having or had a happy Thanksgiving. That's um, the beauty of podcasting for you. And and we also yeah. hope that nobody has any horrible family experiences. Some of you probably have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can catch us. Uh, oh, next month uh, is our part two of our Friday the 13th series. Yeah. Just um, what you need at Christmas time. Jason Voorhees. Right. Uh, the last Friday the 13th is back in uh, September. And the next Friday the 13th will be in December. So uh, December 13th, be sure to tune in for that. Or again, that's the beauty of podcasting, whenever you feel like it. That's right. Just whenever at all. And uh, Kat, what's going on with you? Well, I'm in a show right now called Breaking and Entering. It's written by Colin Mitchell, who runs the website Bitter Lemons, which is like Rotten Tomatoes. Everyone's familiar with that. Um, Except it just aggregates critics' reviews from... um, LA theater shows. So anyway, he wrote, uh, the guy who runs that website wrote a play and I'm in it and it's at zombie Joe's underground theater, which is in North Hollywood. Um, and 
it is it'll be running Fridays and Saturdays um, starting November eighth, which will have already passed you by yeah, before, so before you're able to listen starting to this. Starting the thirteenth for people who want so, to run out and catch so some theater. After the thirteenth, um, it's Fridays and Saturdays. Um, the last show is on Friday the twenty ninth of November. So good All times right. if you feel like it. If you're in the LA area, um, I'll be I'll be doing that. Okay, and I will be performing a magic trick this Sunday at my uh, my works uh, talent show. Spooky. As I uh, try to transform a young lady into a werewolf on stage, and um, I'm scared for her. Yeah, and if everything goes well, um, maybe Kat and I will uh, start to put together uh, like a spook show that you folks can come see. I'll just say down the road. Yeah. Okay. Well, Kat. For our listening audience? Yes. Would you like to tell them to... Beware the moon. Beware the cat.